Welcome to Hoosier Ag This Week. Our team here at Hoosier Ag Today is set to bring you the top news and information from this past week in Indiana and U.S. agriculture. I'm farm broadcaster Eric Pfeiffer. And I'm C.J. Miller. Indiana Farm Bureau members were in sunny San Juan, Puerto Rico for their annual convention this past week. We'll have news coming from there in just moments. Also news from Purdue University on how high interest rates might go and how that will impact farmland prices. And I'm Andy Eubank. Coming up this segment, we'll talk markets. And it was a big week in the markets with the USDA reports on Thursday, positive for corn and soybeans. Brian Basting will be along with his analysis of what USDA had to say and the strong market move in soybeans, especially, and corn as we ended the week. Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin will be here as well with the latest Indiana Farm forecasts. Let's begin, though, in San Juan, where Indiana was well represented at the American Farm Bureau Convention. Young farmers fared well in the national competitions that took place. Hamilton County native Rachel Hyde finished fourth in the discussion meet, while Carter and Abby Morgan from Vermilion County placed in the top ten for the Excellence in Agriculture Award. There was some big news that will impact all of agriculture that came from the convention earlier this week. Farm Bureau and John Deere announced a memorandum of understanding that will allow farmers to repair their own equipment. I think it's a game changer because, you know, working on equipment has been a challenge. And that's Indiana Farm Bureau President Randy Crone chatting with Hoosier Ag today from Puerto Rico on Monday. The diagnostics tools that you need, they haven't made available. You have to go to a deer dealer. So they uh, now that is going to be available to independent mechanics and to farmers. So They'll be able to work on their own equipment if they want to and if they're qualified. But this this is a huge move. Crone, who is also on the American Farm Bureau Board of Directors, says this announcement follows a years-long effort by a Farm Bureau task force assembled by President Zippy Duval to address the issue. Crone says the work isn't quite done yet, though. The hope is, now we'll see how it plays out, that once they, they've gone down this path, the others will fall in, in line, but well, time will tell. But they, the other ones kind of told us, you got to get, if you can get this past deer, I think they'll come along. So it will be, you know, we're talking John Deere now, but I think you're going to see down the road, it will probably be all implement companies. Another reason for Farm Bureau's annual convention is to agree upon policies for the coming year. C.J. Miller reports why Farm Bureau has been against recently proposed changes in immigrant ag labor. CJ? Well, Eric, the U.S. Senate last year failed to advance the Affordable and Secure Food Act, a bill that some thought would be the best chance for farm labor reform in decades. The House had passed a similar bill more than a year earlier. Both bills sought to modify the current H-2A work visa program and would have also established a program for immigrants who were ag workers, along with their spouses and minor children, to earn legal status. It just wasn't enough, and it didn't go far enough to provide enough workers for all of agriculture. And that's Zippy Duval, president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, who also opposed the legislation. We are very concerned about the wage rate formula because we don't think it's sustainable. It's outgrowing the cost anywhere across the country, and we want to make sure that we have time to work on that 
formula that calculates that wage rate. We have to do better, and we must do better, to make sure that it is sustainable for the farmer and for the workers. Sam Kiefer, Farm Bureau's Vice President of Public Policy, says there are other issues within farm labor that also need addressed. Our membership does support E-Verify. However, when E-Verify is hanging over the heads of producers without sufficient number of visas for the workforce that is already here, that is a concern. Kiefer says that Farm Bureau will continue to engage with federal lawmakers to find a solution for farm labor reform. We have been actively engaged for the last 18 months specifically with Senators Bennett and Crapo, and we remain committed to working with any legislator in either chamber to find the solutions to work for all of agriculture. I'm C.J. Miller. All right, C.J., thanks. Plenty more from the Farm Bureau Convention on our website, HoosierAgToday.com. Last week, we told you about the waters of the U.S. final rule that has been put in place by the Environmental Protection Agency and reaction across American agriculture has not been positive for a number of reasons. Chief among them, it could push input costs even higher. Reagan Gieschenschlaw, Manager of Government Affairs with the Fertilizer Institute, says more regulation always means higher cost. I don't think it'll necessarily impact farmers' access to input, but it could add to the backside cost of producing that if somebody is trying to mine materials. It's all about the permitting and the time and the cost to get those permits. Eason Schloss says when the EPA proposed a rule several months back, it was much more extreme than the one they eventually landed on. However, the agency left a lot of wiggle room in implementing the rule that she believes will make things even more challenging for the fertilizer industry. Sometimes when we have to mine the necessary materials to make potash or phosphorus, we have to temporarily disturb wetlands or other aquatic features to extract those materials to produce the fertilizer. So that's kind of where the fertilizer industry and Lotus cross. And it will impact it in that way. Maybe some of these fertilizer expansion projects that USDA had the grant program for, it could potentially delay those depending on who gets awarded. There are things like that. Most farm groups agree that the only thing certain for farmers regarding the latest waters of the U.S. final rule is that there's going to be more uncertainty. Let's shift our attention now to the markets. As we mentioned off the top, big week with the USDA WASDE report. To talk about that and more, here's Andy Eubank. Thanks, Eric. On Thursday, the USDA reports bullish for corn and beans. The markets moved higher, sharply higher, and they built on that on Friday, although coming off of the highs by the end of trade. We'll have the settlements shortly. First market analysis, I secured that late in trade on Friday from Brian Basting, economist at Advanced Trading. Brian, we are looking at a continuation of the rally, although somewhat muted here on Friday, the rally from Thursday after the USDA reports. And if we're going to talk about the markets here as we end the week and go into a three-day weekend, we do need to talk about what USDA had in store. It was uh, pretty bullish across the board when you look at corn and soybeans. Your thoughts? Yeah, probably the most shocking number, Andy, was the reduction in harvested acreage for corn uh, here in the U.S. that we saw from the USDA. Basically, they incorporated the, the effects of the drought that was seen out in Kansas, Nebraska, Colorado and South Dakota, uh, between those four states, looking at, at around 1.6 million acres, a reduction in harvest acreage uh, from what it was in the November report. The market was uh, shocked by that from the standpoint of we have not seen that type of adjustment 
um, at least since the, the late eighties is the only time I can think of. And, and that was following a drought. So basically uh, the market looked at a 200 million bushel reduction in the size of the corn crop here in the U S with that loss in acreage. Um, so uh, we did see though, a reduction in the export forecast of about 150 million bushels from what it was in, in December and in, uh, a small reduction in feed. So what I remind your listeners, Andy, is that this is not a demand-driven rally at the moment. We are not seeing a big demand push by any means. In fact, we're looking at a weakening export market uh, day by day. Ukraine exports, for example, were increased by 3 million tons yesterday. But having said that, supply and demand do drive prices. So the other bullish aspect of the report yesterday was a reduction in crops in Argentina. Brian Basting at Advanced Trading, his number 309-664-2314. On the Hat Farm Market Review, higher corn and soybeans to end the week. On Friday, March corn, four cents higher, about a nickel off the high, still a gain and going to 675. May contract up four and a quarter, 673 and three quarters. July up two and a quarter, 663 and three quarters. Beans also off today's high, March 1527 and three quarters up nine and a quarter and may up eight cents 1527 and a quarter march wheat steady all day long but finally a one cent gain on the close 743 and three quarters livestock mixed quiet february live cattle 157 72 up 17 and february lean hogs down a dime at 7865 you are up to date on the markets now. I'm Andy Eubank, and this is Hoosier Ag This Week. In 2022, audience research showed that Hoosier Ag Today was the most listened to farm radio source in Indiana. Why? Because we bring you timely, relevant, and credible information every day on this station, delivered by professional farm broadcasters who live in this state and who really care about your farming operation. With you in 2023, Hoosier Ag Today, heard daily on this station and online, HoosierAgToday.com. Temperatures on a bit of a roller coaster, and we are going to see an active, soggy week next week. I'm Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin with Hoosier Ag Today's Weekend Ag Weather Outlook. Here's what's going on across the state of Indiana moving forward. For your Saturday here, yeah, it's chilly. We saw a big temperature reset come after that front this past week. Friday was cold. Today continues to stay a little bit on the cool side, below normal in some instances. Tomorrow we see moderating temperatures statewide. It's going to be a very mild Sunday, and that's going to bring a fairly significant batch of cloud cover, particularly mid to late afternoon. That cloud cover is a precursor to another round of moisture. Rain showers will be here on Monday, and we're looking at pretty much everybody getting wet during the day on Monday. Keep that umbrella handy. Moisture totals don't look exceptional, but I think with the duration of this event, we have to allow for a wide range, a tenth to three quarters of an inch from today through the evening and overnight hours. Everything should be done by sunrise tomorrow morning. The balance of your Tuesday turns out dry, but I think we have a tough time getting clouds to break up much. Now, if you see some sunshine on Tuesday, great. Call it a bonus and move on. I just think it's going to be a little bit tough. We're also precipitation-free on Wednesday. Maybe a little bit chilly to start, but no new moisture. 
moisture coming. Big weather system wants to kick out of the central and southern plains as we move through the second half of the week. Thursday, we're going to be seeing rain here. It actually shows up after midnight on Wednesday night, continues through Thursday and into early Friday morning. Rain, I think that's mostly what we're seeing as the low is tracking to our west, going from Arkansas to western Illinois to northern Michigan. So with that track, we should stay in the warm sector, all rain, quarter to one inch at least, maybe a few thunderstorms in there as well. We do see potential for cold air to race in behind the low, but by the time I think that cold air gets here, moisture should be gone. Still, though, I'm going to say maybe we see rain end as a few sloppy wet snowflakes across the area moving into early, early Friday morning. I think it's a low instance of threat right now, but we'll talk about it as we move through this week. Likely snow in Michigan more than Indiana. Then we move into a chilly pattern for the balance of the week, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Below normal temperatures, lots of clouds, not a lot of precipitation, but I think if I have to choose a day where we see some threat of snow, it's likely going to be Sunday afternoon, the 22nd, into early Monday, the 23rd. Minor disturbance trying to come through from the northwest. But yeah, we're getting a temperature reset finally, and we are going to be back closer to normal for January as we move through the week of the 23rd. That's a look at your forecast update. I'm Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin. Farmers, the Fort Wayne Farm Show celebrates 34 great years at the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum, January 17th, 18th, and 19th. This huge three-day event features the area's largest variety of farm equipment and services, educational seminars presented daily. Register to win the grand prize, a Toro My Ride Zero Turn Lawnmower, courtesy of Plevna Implement. Admission is free. The Fort Wayne Farm Show is this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at Memorial Coliseum, open Wednesday night till 8. You've landed on Hoosier Ag this week from Hoosier Ag Today. Thanks for joining us. I'm Eric Pfeiffer with the latest Indiana and U.S. farm news. How high will interest rates go in 2023? Well, this was among the many questions posed at the Purdue Top Farmer Conference last week in West Lafayette. Jason Henderson, Purdue Senior Associate Dean of the College of Agriculture and Ag Econ Professor, gave his opinion. If you look at the Federal Reserve policy, and, and they're doing a very good job, in my opinion, of communicating where they think the path is and going forward, I think in 2023 you'll get uh, more of an increase in interest rates going in there. Um, not this huge shock or substantial, but just some more modest increases. And so you get about a higher increases, you know, probably half percent to a full percent in uh, 2023 higher than what they are today. Um, but it all depends on the economy and where it, where it moves going forward because they're really focusing on being data dependent and responding to economic conditions. Prior to Coming to work at Purdue, Henderson worked at the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City. He says agriculture is a debt-financed industry, so the modest increase in interest rates that he projects will result, obviously, in higher debt payments on farmers' operating loans. Henderson shares the good news before the bad. Right now they have a lot of cash, so they're not using much, as much debt as they have in the past, so that's a good thing. Um, the other part of it, though, is that a higher interest rates uh, place downward pressure on land values, and so you could see some flattening of land values or maybe some softening, depending on how high interest rates go and some other factors that happen. Another question that Henderson addressed, are we headed into a recession? I don't think at this point in time we're heading into a recession. Um, we'll have some slower growth. Uh, consumer fundamentals are strong, they're spending, wages are going up, so you'll have that consumer spending, and that's about 60 to 70 percent of the economy. Um, you have businesses are making investments not in business and structures, you'll have it in terms of other equipment, special, especially intellectual property type of equipment, and the government 
um, is spending money, both mainly at the federal government side. So all these factors are, I think, positive. Find this story at HoosierAgToday.com to hear the full hat interview with Henderson, where he discusses more of his economic outlook, as well as his transition to Iowa State University, where he recently accepted the position of Vice President of Extension and Outreach. More now from that Purdue Top Farmer Conference. 2022 was a year of record farmland prices. Throughout the third quarter, we saw headlines nearly every week for a new record-breaking sale somewhere in the Midwest, specifically Iowa. Another question posed during that Top Farmer Conference, what can we expect for farmland prices in 2023? I would expect the land market to slow down in terms of appreciation. I don't expect a decline. That's Howard Halderman, president of Halderman Real Estate based in Wabash, Indiana. He spoke at last week's top farmer conference at Purdue University. I think zero to five percent up in 23 would probably be more of a typical year and probably what I would expect to happen based upon current commodity prices and interest levels uh, that we see today. Halderman reflected on 2022 and said that farmland supply was tight in the second and third quarter, leading to those higher farmland prices. Then, as the fourth quarter rolled around, supply ramped up tremendously as some landowners moved up their timeline. A lot of sellers saw all-time record prices, and if I were sitting in their shoes with increasing interest rates, I might sit there and say, all right, I, I want to sell this farm in the next two to three years. Maybe now's the time. And capital gains tax rates are still at their lower levels. Uh, so I think the sellers did advance some of their decisions. Alderman's prediction for 2023 is largely based on how the fourth quarter of 2022 played out. He says that fourth quarter was very volatile, with some farmland records continuing to be broken, but other sales that he felt should have sold for far more. And so we had some that would still bring over $100 per corn bushel a productivity index, which is kind of record level. The market was around 90, the average, but there were some sales in the 60s. So that's that volatility that I was talking about that really started to show up more in the fourth quarter, where in the third quarter, everything, low quality, high quality, was selling for that high number. Again, find this story at HoosierAgToday.com. Hear my full chat with Halderman from the Purdue Top Farmer Conference. Switching gears now, when it came to fertilizer last year, news of shortages and skyrocketing prices affected farm operations everywhere. C.J. Miller is here now, and he reports that when it comes to getting a hold of the fertilizer you need this year, it's probably not going to be an issue. At this point in time, we don't foresee any widespread shortages across the U.S. in terms of availability of fertilizer. And that's Jason Trundle with the Fertilizer Institute. He says that last year's supplies were a little lower than normal, but not quite that bad. When we look at things at a U.S. basis, we actually had the second highest total supply of nitrogen over the last eight years. We were down a little bit in terms of phosphate, and we were basically at the five-year average for potash imports. So despite the fact that there was maybe quite a bit of noise around there, I think supplies actually ended up being pretty good last year, and we anticipate that moving into this year. He says some of the problems last year may have had to do with misunderstandings between retailers and farmers. The grower would go to their retailer, say, in December and say, hey, can I purchase my ammonia for April 20th delivery? And the retailer would say no. And sometimes that was interpreted as the product wasn't available. And really what it was is with the prices being so volatile, the retailer wasn't willing necessarily to price something out that far in advance. So I think we may see some of that challenge again this year, just in terms of retailers and farmers trying to mitigate risk and not necessarily wanting to put something on the books with as volatile as, as the market is. Trundle says the 
availability of inputs shouldn't be a problem this year. However, the price of those inputs is a different story. Prices, of course, may be higher than what growers would like to pay for them, but availability we don't think will be a, a major issue. There has been a little softening in input prices, but Trundle says they aren't coming down quickly. Good news is even as we're going into the spring here, we have seen some softening in prices. I think both in terms of on the potash side and the phosphate side, we've seen things been coming off for quite some time now, slowly trickling downward. And then even on the nitrogen side, we've seen some downward pressure over the last month or two here. Read more at com. I'm C.J. Miller. All right, C.J., thanks. Some interesting news coming out of Iowa where there are no professional sports, but now professional sports athletes buying up Iowa farmland, including Cincinnati Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow and longtime NBA players Blake Griffin, Kimball Walker, and Chris Middleton. Read why and find other farm news at HoosierAgToday.com. This is Hoosier Ag This Week from Hoosier Ag Today. In 2022, audience research showed that Hoosier Ag Today was the most listened to farm radio source in Indiana. Why? Because we bring you timely, relevant, and credible information every day on this station, delivered by professional farm broadcasters who live in this state and who really care about your farming operation. With you in 2023, Hoosier Ag Today, heard daily on this station and online, HoosierAgToday.com. Hey, Indiana farmers, you know that when it comes to corn success, it's yield first and everything else second. And in 2022 independent trials, Dairyland Seed brought the yield like no other all across the Hoosier state. We're talking 11 top five finishes, eight top three finishes, and three first place finishes. So when you're making the critical decision on what to plant this year, look no further than the seed proven to outperform Dairyland Seed. Find the corn hybrids bringing the most yield in your area at DairylandSeed.com. Welcome back to Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today. One of the benefits of doing business with your local farmer-owned cooperative is having a portion of the co-op's profits made in a year paid back to you through patronage. And that's why one Indiana-based co-op is excited about their patronage announcement. This year we had record profits and we plan on returning $45 million in cash and equity back to our farmer owners. And that's Kevin Still, president and CEO of Co-Alliance Cooperative. He shared with Hoosier Ag today that the $45 million they plan to return to their farmer owners represents 51% of the company's profits from their 2022 fiscal year. It's an unprecedented amount for us also as we again we had record earnings this year really pertaining more to our agronomy division because of some margin increase there and really anybody in the ag industry experienced great profits but the difference is we get to return those excess profits back to our farmers our competitors don't do that that's why we say we like to give our profits back to main street not back to wall street still says the remaining 49 percent of co-alliance's profits are being reinvested back into the company. So, you know, out of the 86 million, if we pay back 45 million, that leaves about 40 some million to reinvest into capital projects and reinvest into our equipment and facilities. Tim Burke of Carroll County, who serves as Co-Alliance's board chairman, says he's looking forward to receiving his patronage refund 
and he credits the company's leadership and employees for making it happen. Oh yes, it's very nice. Very glad to get it. Um, it just makes the whole process seem like it worked right. It's a teamwork all the way around. Wonderful leadership, very dedicated employees that are willing to do the extra to make this work. Cool Alliance has more than 11,000 farmer owners across Indiana, Ohio, and southern Michigan. Well, farming can be a very stressful job, and that stress can have a negative impact on your life. However, there's a farmer from central Indiana who knows firsthand the stress of farming and how to handle that stress in a positive way. Mental health from a farm perspective is one that's uh, often forgotten, often overlooked. And that's Joe Kelsey, who farms with his family in Johnson County. Joe says he understands the day-to-day -day stress that farming brings. There's some tough uh, realities that can occur, and that might be with commodity prices, it might be with a crop failure, it might be with uh, family issues or financing, and, and many other things can fit into there. But if there's a need or a reason to reach out and lean on a, a, another family member, a close friend, there's a lot of support out there that can really help you see the bright side. And uh, it's pretty easy sometimes when things aren't seeming to go well to really get down. Joe says he's glad the ag industry is working to break the stigma of silence when it comes to stress and mental health. That stigma, I think, that uh, existed with older generations, but frankly, my own. If you've got some real challenges in your outlook or you're feeling depressed, uh, there's not that immediate kind of connection to mental health facilities, but I think that idea or that, that stigma is starting to fall away. Joe points to the Purdue Extension Farm Stress Team and others who are paving the way for farmers to openly discuss their stress and to prevent it from manifesting itself into something more dangerous for themselves or others around them. We have to spend a little more time focusing on the mental um, health of uh, our agriculture community because it's, it's a group that we rely on so heavily. There's so many great things that are happening in this industry. And, and staying focused on, on what's going well and maybe managing those things that aren't, uh, there's hope. So I hope uh, that uh, folks that are listening, um, if they're feeling that way, can find someone to reach out to and uh, really kick that stigma when it comes to, to mental health issues because it's a real issue. For more information about the Purdue Extension Farm Stress Team, visit extension.purdue.edu slash farmstress. Well, if you're an Indiana farmer, there's an excellent opportunity available for you to advocate for ag-friendly policies. Eric Pfeiffer has more. Well, it's an honor to serve on the Indiana Corn Growers Association board and representing farmers from around the state. And that's Scott Smith. He's been farming for 48 years in Tipton County and is the president of the Indiana Corn Growers Association. The ICGA board advocates for Hoosier corn farmers at the local, state, and federal levels. The board is currently seeking candidates to fill three spots in Districts 1, 4, and 7. Smith says if you share his passion for the ag industry and are an ICGA member, you should consider running if you reside in one of those districts. To see how policies work that affect us on a daily basis. It just doesn't happen by luck. It happens by work. And so people being active, involved, going to that meeting in your community, get to know people that are to help direct policies for our ag industry. If you aren't an ICGA member, Smith encourages you to do some research on the organization and consider getting involved. His experience started by simply showing up to a shop talk that was organized in his community that he was invited to. I thought it would be an educational experience and I got invited to go and I thought, you know, I want to go to that. So Smith says to consider this your invitation to an Indiana Corn Growers Association event near you. To learn more about running for one of the open seats on the ICGA board, find this story at HoosierAgToday.com. 
I'm Eric Pfeiffer. Thank you, Eric. Don't forget, you can find this story and all the stories featured on this week's program at our website, HoosierAgToday.com. Well, that does it for this week's edition of Hoosier Ag This Week. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. For Andy Eubank, Eric Pfeiffer, and Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin, I'm C.J. Miller, Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's most listened-to farm radio network.